Welcome. You're listening to the Equine Photographers Podcast, the place to learn from top equine professionals around the world as they share their experience and knowledge on what it takes to be an accomplished equine photographer. Now your hosts, Peter DeMott and Gigi Embricks. Hi there. This is Peter DeMott. I wanted to give you a brief intro to our guest, Shelley Paulson. She's been a professional photographer since 2004. She has done weddings and portraits as well as equine photography throughout that time. Was actually a speaker at WPPI. She has a fantastic new website and blog where she captures the attention of her clients in the Twin Cities area of Minnesota. I've always admired her work and been inspired by it. And I hope you will, too, be inspired by her story and our interview. Um, We had a little fun trying to get connected on Skype, and uh, so you'll hear the glee as we all start with the interview now. Hey, all three of us are here. Hallelujah. It's a party. It's a party. (laughs) It's an online virtual party. Yeah, I like that. Great. How are you, Shelly? I am doing great this morning. I had an amazing session last night, and so I'm still kind of on a high from that. Well, that's always good. Well, you yeah. always have amazing sessions. Oh, last night was like up a notch. It was a senior girl and her two horses that were so well behaved. And she was really comfortable in front of the camera. And we shot at this barn and they have this gorgeous eventing course. And it was just like I could do no wrong. And my last session Saturday was the horse was very herd bound and wanted to Mm. run away. And he was just uptight and wouldn't cuddle. And these, I don't know, it was just one of those times when you're just like this is exactly how I want them to go. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it was really, it was really great. Oh, that's good. So tell me how you got that customer. I did senior photos for a friend of hers. Oh. And so she saw her photos and wanted photos like hers. Great. They do eventing together. They both have horses. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. How are you getting most of your business? I would say... Facebook and referrals. I got in with a nice group of girls that do eventing and jumping and they see each other's photos. And that's a great way to kind of start a circle of referrals. And then, you know, just being really active on Facebook and tagging those people who I do photographs for. That's where a lot of the business comes from. It's amazing to me how things have changed that Facebook is the place to do your marketing today, you know? Well, it is. And, and I think a lot of people are complaining about the fact that Facebook is making us pay for it, but you know, back, back in the day, you actually had to pay for advertising. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine imagine that. (laughs) And so I, you know, have started investing a little money in, in Facebook ads and boosting posts. And, um, I'm not sure I'm seeing like a cause and effect kind of thing happen with that, but I'm, definitely of the belief that it Facebook has every right to ask us to pay for all this advertising that we're doing with them and and that that should be part of your you know running a business budget marketing budget so it's been a f- 
free ride for a while. Yeah, I agree. It's I mean, where else can you go one spot and with their ads, you know, if you purchase their ads, you get to target your demographic in one spot. I mean, that's oh, yeah. they make it pretty easy. So it is it is really a very helpful tool for us today, I think. Yeah, and it's nice to be able to say, like, I ran an ad for 16 and 17-year-old women in Minnesota who have horse interests, you know, horseback riding and jumping. And, you know, it's like there is no other place. I could run an ad here. I could run an ad there. But it wouldn't target that very specific customer that I'm looking to reach. So are you driving all over Montana for these sessions? Yeah, Minnesota. Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota. <laughs> that's what I meant. There's not many in Montana. She'd be like the yeah. lonely yeah, road. Minnesota. That would be. I'm, a lot I'm not hearing people. the Minnesota accent. Well, it's because I travel a lot, and I try <laughs> and like calm it down and not say, "Oh, you know." It's <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. At this point, I'm staying more around the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul area. Of course, people don't have horses in the city, and so I do a fair amount of driving around the outside edges. I did have an interesting thing. I threw an ad up on a very big horse-related Facebook group in Minnesota. A bunch of old clients started chiming in and singing my praises, which was awesome. I didn't ask them to do that. It was just really cool. And that got me a lot of interest, but much of the interest was from outside the Twin Cities. So then it was, okay, well, would you want to drive up here or do you want to pay travel charges? Because that can add up really quick. Minnesota is a big state. And so like one person that inquired, they were four hours away, still in the state, but four hours away. And so I can't just go there for the same price that I can go an hour away. Yeah. Yeah. And so most of my work takes place around the Twin Cities, but I'm looking for ways to, to expand that a little bit, try and maybe group some sessions together and people can share the travel costs. Yeah, I want to bring this back around. We kind of jumped right in right from the beginning. (laughs) And uh, what I want to do is, uh, you know, on your about page, you know, you kind of give us a little history of how you got into photography and how you got into horses. And why don't you tell us about that? All right. Well, I'm pretty sure I came out of the womb with an affinity for horses. <laughs> with an affinity, is that the word? Yeah, Affection that's right. For horses. When I was really little, we had a babysitter that bought my sister and I a couple of briar horses. And I was hooked and started taking lessons when I was about 10. And, you know, mostly kind of backyard horse riding. We did a little bit of the local shows. I did gaming when I was young, you know, younger, and then moved into more of the kind of Western pleasure arena. And then the first thing I did when I had a real job with real money coming in was I bought a horse. And I still own that horse. It's the only horse I've ever owned. I leased before that. And her name is Maggie Sue, and she's 22. And yeah, I got her as a two-year-old. Yeah, she's in great shape and we just, we love to trail ride and just, I just love having a horse that I know so well and that knickers when she sees me and come Mm -hmm. out to the pasture to get her and it's a great relationship and that relationship, obviously, once I had a camera in my hands. And where did that camera come from or how did that happen? I was doing uh, graphic and web design. 
Ah, and that's why your website looks so beautiful. <laughs> that, you're you're cheating there now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I have this specialized set of skills to make running a business easy. The only skill I'm really missing is math, and so my husband takes care of all the accounting. Oh, but uh, yeah, it's very helpful. But yeah, I was doing graphic and web design. I was working for an ad agency and got hired by one of our clients. I wanted to move closer to Minneapolis at the time. I was living outside of Minneapolis a couple hours. And so I took the job with them. And one, it was a, a job as a communications director for a large construction company. They built roads and bridges and did the infrastructure for Universal Orlando and, you know, just some different places like that. And part of my job was to travel around to all their projects around the United States and take pictures to put in a calendar that they sent out. And so I bought myself a, you know, a cheap film camera and spent $200 on two lenses thinking that was, you know, pretty awesome. And once I had a camera in my hands, suddenly I kind of wanted to photograph other things too. I wasn't very good at it (laughs) because Uh the film thing was really a slow learning curve. And unfortunately that job I took right after 9-11 and construction projects really crashed and I was I lost the job but they let me keep my entire home office set up all the software everything you know that is probably twenty thousand dollars worth of startup including this camera but as I started then picking up my own clients and running my own business I realized I really needed to be able to take good pictures in order to do that I needed digital because I needed to be able to see what I was doing I wanted that I didn't want to wait for film scans. And so I picked up the very first Digital Rebel and the kit lens and uh, started taking pictures. So what was that, about 15 years ago? That was 11 years ago. Okay. Yeah, surprisingly enough. Because the Digital Revolution kind of blew into the scene about then. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It was probably the only camera that was out before that that interested me. I'm going to try and think of what it was. I think it was called a 10D, but I wasn't quite ready to spend that money. And then when the Digital Rebel came out, you know, it was this like titanium looking body. And I think the first one of the first things I took photos of with that camera was a horse. Went out to the barn. It was the dead of winter. And I just started taking pictures of horses. And that's kind of where it started. And, uh, you know, I immediately realized I needed better lenses and the progression of camera bodies from there went, you know, pretty fast. And, and I was able to make better pictures as the technology improved as well. So along that line, though, tell us your progression from amateur to professional photographer in terms of what you had to learn and how you got there. Well, I had the benefit that I was already running a business. So I was running a graphic and web design business called Somerset Studio. And when people decided I was taking good enough pictures to pay me for those pictures, I just ran everything right through Somerset Studio. I didn't probably charge very much at first. I remember, I think my first wedding I was paid for was like $250 because it was like, well, (laughs) I should get paid something, but I don't really know what I'm doing, so I'm not going to charge a whole lot. And uh, I think by the end of that first year, I was charging $850. I realized how much work was involved (laughs) and that I wasn't going to give it away like that. Yeah. I really wasn't an amateur for very long. Well, you knew from your uh, 
web services, you probably knew that you needed to charge a nice fee in order to stay in business. Exactly. And I couldn't trade my time for nothing. It's even a conversation I had with my parents last night. They were asking about a part of my business. And I said, you know, I, I have to charge for that because I, I'm trading my my time for that. And I think that's something a lot of photographers don't realize until suddenly the photography kind of overtakes their life and then they're not getting compensated for that. And that kind of takes the fun out of it. I see that a lot in, you know, photographer. Oh, well, my goodness, I couldn't charge more than $5 for an eight by 10. <laughs> you know, that's a hundred percent markup. But it's so then, much more than paper. <laughs> right. Yeah. All that's involved. Yeah, and the, uh, the skill set, I mean, how many years does it take us to get to a skill set that when you're, you know, photographing like you do, Shelley, the portraits, you have to deliver to them. People. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm sure you spend a lot of time and practice and education to get to the skill set that you're at. And I think a lot of photographers are jumping in a little too soon before they have that skill set to be able to deliver, you know. Consistency, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and how I, how did you go about learning photography? Was it just all trial and error? Or did you go to, to some conferences? Did you join the state organization or PPA and things like that? You know, I'm not a huge joiner. Okay, <laughs> um, I was mostly self-taught. I had that benefit of the you know, the graphic design background. So I, I could do all sorts of horrid Photoshop stuff to my work and hide my, my mistakes. And I thankfully have moved away from that. <laughs> I was doing a presentation recently on timeless photo editing and I looked through my old work and I could see that point where I got a better camera and I stopped putting like glow and things on my images because right. I could, I could stand how they looked just straight edited. But I went to a workshop in 2000 and I'm going to say six with a photographer by the name of Cheryl Jacobs. And she's a film photographer. She's a children's photographer. She's a lot of things that I'm not, but she has a special gift for teaching and for just kind of releasing photographers to be who they are. And at that point, I was a couple years into it and I was doing everything. I was shooting anything somebody would pay me to shoot, and I was doing it the way I thought it was expected to be photographed. And she so released me from that, but by the, by the third day of this workshop she did, I was openly sobbing in front of my classmates. because wow. Yeah, because my heart had been set free to be able to pursue who I am as an artist and not be all things to all people and do what clients expected of me. And that I could actually it shifted it from being client-driven to being more artist-driven and finding out who I am and then attracting the clients that want what I want. It was like life-changing. And I still see her influence in my work and have had her do private critiques with me. And whenever I feel stuck, she's really good at kind of helping to redirect me. And, and in fact... We had portfolio, individual portfolio reviews as a part of that workshop. And, and I, I just highly recommend critique and portfolio reviews because you can't see your own blind spots. And you also can't necessarily always see where you're, where you're really starting to kind of sing and find your own voice in your work. And she pointed out an image, and it's one that I always, always have on my website. It used to be on my homepage, and it's a little girl 
holding a horse by the chin and giving it a kiss. I'm looking at and, that right now. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah. And, that. and she said, this is who you are. Go here. Oh. And it, that literally set me on the path that I'm still on today. You think she meant because it has emotion, connection, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you, and that's what you really, to me, your work shows that, the connection between the horse and the owner, the closeness you know, and, and that, that image definitely is, does that for It embodies that. And yeah. before that, I was thinking a lot more, you know, standard portrait, looking at the camera. There wasn't a lot of this cuddle and kiss thing going on in those days. And, and Peter, you can attest to that. Right. I mean, this was real early when, you know, most portraits were, you know, fill flash and, and, show backgrounds and I mean this was this was kind of the start of a new genre of of photos that really show that bond and connection and I don't think there was a whole lot of that at the time because I I wasn't seeing it right and I'm I'm not saying I started this revolution but I I think um you know partially influenced that well let's let's talk about that a little bit how do you perceive or how do you acquire the horse and rider connection. There's lots of people taking pictures of people kissing horses, but they don't feel that connection. Mm. Tell us about the process because, you know, there's backgrounds, there's, Mm -hmm. you know, how the people touch the horse. Do you instruct them? Tell us what goes on. I think actually what, what makes the image feel like it does is that I don't do a lot of instruction. I am very light on posing. At the beginning of the session, I tell them, you know, these are the things I'm going to want from you. Tell us what. So things like I, I like them to put their weight on one foot because when you stand with your knees locked, weight on both feet, you look stiff. And then arms the same way. Basically, arms and legs need to have some bend in them, not both legs, because then that would be like a weird squat. Um, (laughs) But whenever possible, I like arms to be bent and I like one, at least one knee to be bent. And it's that simple. Now, if somebody is a little rounder, I might have a few other instructions for them. Like for me, when I'm photographed, I want to be posed in a flattering way because I'm not a size two. And so in those cases, I say, well, I'm going to want you to keep your weight on your back foot and kind of keep your hip pushed away from me because whatever's closest to the camera appears largest. So if that's your face, then you're going to, you know, lose a few pounds in front of the camera, which I'm always grateful for. Mm -hmm. So I give those just kind of basic instructions and then through the session, if I see a straight arm, if I see straight legs, I go, oh, bend that arm, you know, bend that knee. But I'm not doing a lot of, I want you to, you know, put this hand here and this hand here and look this way. And I think when you start to do that, then people become really self-conscious and they can't get lost in the moment with the animal as much. So when you're when they're lost in the moment, that's when you're snapping away, huh? Yeah, and I mean, I'm doing the asked for portraits too. I'm like, okay, look here and smile, and I may say, oh, put your reins in your left hand and pet your horse with your right hand. So I do give some instructions just so that not everything looks the same. Okay. Or I'll say, why don't you squat down here and see if the horse will lean down to you if they feel safe, if it's a calm horse. And so I do give direction, but I don't give a like really heavy specific direction. And and then I tell them at the beginning too, I'm like, if the horse turns into you, then 
whatever I just told you to do, look at the camera, whatever, forget it. I just want you to interact. The horse is inviting you into a moment. And so. Oh, um, very nice. Mm -hmm. I love that phraseology. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it is being very flexible and go with the flow. And I may be set up for like the most amazing look at me portrait and the horse turns in. I'm just going to be quiet at that moment and I'm going to capture what's happening naturally and not be like, wait a minute, I want you looking at the camera here. This is my thing I'm trying to accomplish. And so having a, having a very flexible mindset and a very calm demeanor, which I do, is really helpful because if the person's uptight and the horse is uptight and there's a lot of expectations, things blow up. Right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about the pre-consultation or phone conversations you're having with prospects in terms of what you're going to be selling them and also at the session as far as safety goes, what do you tell the client regarding safety before you start shooting? So as as far as beforehand, I don't do a lot of consultation. If somebody wants to talk to me before booking, I totally understand that. And I'll do a phone conversation and answer their questions. I have a PDF that I send out to people who inquire that really lays out, this is the pricing, this is what you can expect after the session, you know, a frequently asked questions, it just goes into a lot more detail than what I put on my website. And I don't put it on my website for everyone to download for obvious reasons of there's a lot of plagiarism on the internet these days. And I really am trying to protect my intellectual property. Mm-hmm. And so they have to be a legitimate inquirer. I will even stalk on Facebook or online and just make sure that there's somebody in my state and, you know, and really do want a session with me. That's about it. Then when they're booked, they get a, a email that's, you know, here's how to prepare your horse and here's what to wear and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it's not, it's not heavy handed. It's not you have to wear these clothes or, you know, have professional hair and makeup done or whatnot. It's just some suggestions to make the session go smoothly. Like make sure your horse has had a good meal beforehand and mm-hmm. bring fly spray and make sure you've eaten, you know, like just basics of my, my, my main goal is that people are comfortable at a session. Right. Yeah, because if they're comfortable, they're going to look comfortable in the pictures. As far as safety, I think that is where being a horse girl comes into this. Mm-hmm. I, I worry about people who are not or don't have any horse experience doing horse sessions because I am experienced with horses and I've seen bad things happen. Right. I've also seen a lot of bad things almost happen and known when to call, okay, let's take a break because the horse is about to blow up. You know when that starts to escalate. You know, for one reason or another, maybe it's the bugs or the person's really nervous and the horse is picking up on that. Or like last night, I had my client was kneeled down in the grass and a deer ran behind the horses. Oh, yeah. You know, and that kind of stuff. I thought about it afterwards. I'm like... So was it smart for me to have her in a position like that? Thankfully, your horses didn't run her over, but something could have happened. So it made me think a little bit about that pose, especially when she had two horses in hand. And and so safety is is really important to me. And I, I think about it a lot. And even like if a parent is going to hold a horse, maybe I'm got, a, you know, I'm photographing a client and I want to do a few of her alone 
and have the mom hold the horse. I'm going to ask the mom, are you comfortable? Are you experienced enough with horses? I check on those things because I have had a few incidents in the past where horses have blown up and run off and, you know, things happen. And it's just, it's, it's upsetting. You know, it's very upsetting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't, I, it's upsetting for the client. It's upsetting for me. And so I'm probably, the older I get, I probably get more thoughtful and conservative about where I take the horse and, and making sure the horse and client are comfortable in those settings. Do you have any of uh, the safety concerns uh, written up in the PDF? I don't because okay. I don't really want to set people up to think about that okay. this might be a dangerous thing. No, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. My, I'm very careful in my website and in all my communications that my wording always is very positive mm-hmm. and upbeat because it sets a tone. So, you know, Gigi does warm blood, so she never has to worry about a horse exploding. (laughs) (laughs) No, just if they walk all over you, you're done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Watch your feet. Yeah. (laughs) Big feet. Yeah, Yeah, big feet. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, well, let let me uh, get down to some more business, and I I hope you'll be a little transparent with us and within reason. I mean, yeah, if you want to do my best, yeah. <laughs> but you kind of reinvented yourself with this new website, and you said something in a blog post that you weren't going to be doing weddings anymore. Yeah, tell us about that reinventing and what your thoughts are. Okay, a couple of years ago, I fell not off a horse just off my feet and um, landed my head pretty hard on a concrete floor. Oops. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, I bumped my head. I have a bruise. You know, I mean, it was a little scary. It was, a, I did go in for a um, CT scan and all of that. And I was out of town. It was really a bad deal. But I just thought, oh, a couple of weeks, I'll be fine. Well, it turns out I had a concussion that also led to a brain injury. And it was really very disabling. And I tried not to make too big of a deal about it publicly, but it really limited my life. I was in a lot of pain, a lot of headaches. Also had some issues just with speech and just brain fog. And that first summer was pretty rough dealing with that. And I did find a, a functional neurologist who takes chiropractic and uses it to help heal the brain and made significant progress with with him. And that was really wonderful because I wasn't sure I was ever going to be the same person again. And But then it took another year where I was just struggling with headaches, especially on a regular basis. And it, it was just realized that stress is not something I can handle like I could before I fell. A friend of mine once said, you never get up the way you go down because she had experienced a similar type of concussion and brain injury. Hmm. And I got to the point last fall where I realized that the primary source of stress for me was weddings. And I am a I would like to say a recovering perfectionist because I've learned to live with imperfection better. But I take weddings very, very, very seriously. And as an artist, I take my work very, very seriously. And I like, I just, I don't want to do anything to compromise my ability to be at a wedding. And I don't want to do anything that would take away from somebody's wedding day. And I was charging a lot of money and I wanted to make images that were up to par at every wedding, you know, but you never know when you're going to have a rainy day or the schedule's going to go crazy because of something. And there was just a lot of unknowns. And not only was I stressed on the wedding day, I was 
dealing with a, a low-level, not low-level, probably a mid-level of stress on, a, on a, just a lifestyle basis because of weddings. Right. And before I fell, I could handle that and still live a good life. But after I fell, that just was a limitation that I couldn't do anymore. Mm. And so um, in uh, spring of winter of 2014, I attended the WPPI conference in Las Vegas, Wedding and Portrait Photographers International. And I've been going to this conference for years and working for a couple different companies. And uh, I was just going to be there for one day because I was also out visiting family and in Nevada. And I went there for one day and I got to the trade show and after an hour, I just had a headache and I felt terrible. And I, but I really wanted to be there. I really wanted to go to the trade show. So I sat down at the Canon booth and I thought, okay, well, there's some good speakers coming up, Scott Kelby and, and Mm -hmm. Bruce Dorn and, and Scott Kelby made me laugh and made me forget that I wasn't feeling good. And, and then after him came Bruce Dorn and Bruce Dorn was talking about DSLR video. And I was not really interested in doing that at the time. I'm happy to be a photographer and whatnot. And so he gets up there and he shoots in the Southwest and a lot of his films have a horse element. And then he showed this short documentary he had done about a girl doing rodeo. And I was like, oh my gosh, my heart was beating out of my chest and I didn't expect that. Mm -hmm. And I walked out that day going, I think this is the next thing for me. And last summer, then, I started to work on learning DSLR video and and making some short films about people and their horses. And I, like, this is is it. Filmmaking is the next thing for me. I knew that what I was doing was trying to find something to replace the weddings. And by last fall, um, some things happened, and I just knew I really needed to close the wedding business. And I'm grateful to have something new to pursue and something new financially to make help make up the difference. But also, without weddings, I have the capacity to take a lot more equestrian portrait sessions. And an unexpected thing came when I launched my new website, when I started even working on my new website. And I realized everything but the horses was being pulled off the website. And it gave Say me- that again. I was pulling what does every that mean? well, there was no more weddings, no more families, no more portraits. It was just okay. it was this moment where I wrote on the homepage, I was just needed some type there just so I could start to see what it was gonna look like. And I wrote, Welcome horse lover. It made me go, wait a minute, can I really do that? Can I really say welcome horse lover? Like, is that too narrow and too specific? And I thought about it for a minute. I'm like, no, I can really say that. And that like started this excitement for me that hasn't stopped. And I, I kind of wake up every morning going, this is really happening. <laughs> you know, this uh-huh. is, you know, these are, this is really amazing that I get to now focus my entire effort as a business person on horses. It's, it's huge. Horses and, and their people. Right? Horses and their people. That's okay. my thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love photographing horses by themselves. Too, right. But, Tell us about the response of consumers to your new focus, but also can you give us sort of an idea of the percentages of what's happening? I noticed you do some black and white, you do some at Liberty pictures, you're doing, you know, pictures with people. And what are the percentages of each thing? Like 
would you say that half of what you're doing now is film or just 10%? Would you say that, you know, people love the black and white or you're doing more at Liberty or more portraits? Also, I ran across this remember me session or remember session Mm -hmm. for an older horse. And I guess, you know, this is a podcast about the business of equine photography. Mm -hmm. So what's working for you financially you know, is this your full-time business or do you have another business that you're, you know, depending on for a living also or, you know, get in all that? Yeah. My eggs are all in one basket with okay. my business. <laughs> but I That's do, good. yeah, I do mentoring and I'm now starting to write ebooks, and I'm hoping sometime this year to be able to launch a fine art website where I sell some of my equestrian work as fine art. But my bread and butter is equine portrait sessions with people. Okay. I don't do a lot where I'm hired just to photograph the horse. Not really sure why, but I think Mm -hmm. because I'm just, my specialty really is people and horses. And And when you're blogging, you're telling their stories. So that makes it captivating for other people to want to do that too. Yeah, and I think it's a specialized skill. I mean, I know it is that a lot of people can photograph horses, but they can't photograph people. A lot of people can photograph people, but they can't photograph horses. And so to be able to blend the two well is what makes my work special. Probably 60% or more, I'm going to say conservatively, are high school seniors. And I think part of that is, you know, just like weddings, Families know that they're going to spend some money on on senior photos. And I am not a cheap photographer. I'm not a pay me $350 and I'll come out for two hours and shoot and give you all the photos on the disc. That's not me. I'm a full service, customized experience. You're going to invest some money when you come to have a session with me. I require a minimum payment up front towards products. Are you willing to get into any of the specifics on that? Um, it's hard to because here's what, and I this is what I tell people I mentor to. I could give you my numbers, uh-huh. and you can I can give you my general numbers. But if you're not in a market that pays what I do, or you don't have my level of experience, or maybe you have more experience, it's it's. I don't want people to say, "Oh, this is what Shelly charges, so I'm going to charge this." Right. And so you know, it's there's so many so many factors. In- but, but we do. I mean, we do have people that are listening that think. You know, a hundred and fifty dollars CD is going to work. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes we have to challenge them on that so that they understand that you know, like Shelley Paulson's running a business and she's making a living at photography, and and her average senior portrait with a horse, they're investing blank. Okay. I mean, or maybe do you feel there is a I always said there's no standard starting point for photographers. I listened to uh, Creative Live uh, Sue Bryce, and she was talking about that, that there has to be a standard start point money-wise. And she felt like it was, if you're a, a beginner, you're just, you know, you've got your basics down. She feels $400 for a, a portrait session. Now, she may have been including the makeup because she does glamour, mm, but yeah. she felt like the minimum, the minimum has to be four to five hundred dollars if you're going to make money and run a, a, a legitimate business. 
I actually think that's a really good number. I mean, even if you were going to include something with that, because, and that as a starting point, if you want to work with me, you have to be, you have to minimally invest $650 if you want me to come out and do a session for you. Mm -hmm. And so that's a $200 session fee and $450 towards my lowest package. Part of the reason for that is the distance that I have to go to most of these sessions. So if I were to spend an hour driving, which is pretty average, we're talking probably an hour of prep between emails and bookings and phone calls and whatnot, an hour of prep, two hours of driving, two hours of shooting, an hour after the session of downloading and whatever, an hour of editing. And then I spend an hour to two hours with a client doing an in-person ordering session with almost every client. Do you go back to them then? Nope. They come to me. So I go to them once and they come to me once. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I have a room set up in my in the front. It was like a formal living room, and I turned it into a place to meet with clients. And also, if I have dinner guests over, it's a dining room. So, but if you think about it, I have ten hours into this session by the time it's all said and done. And if I were to go and do my session, and I made four hundred dollars for that, (laughs) that is not a very profitable business. Yeah, that's not much. No, and I'm also. I'm really fast at editing. Like to call and edit a session in, in an hour or less is, you know, pretty fast compared to a lot of people. So my average sale is probably more around the 1200. I would most people go with my middle package which includes an album and a a good number of digital files and a wall art credit for a larger print to put on your wall. That is my happy place because I feel like I the time that I invest is returned and that my client gets something significant out of it too. And so I'm not the right photographer for everyone because not everybody wants to invest that kind of money in portraits. But I think a big reason why I get a lot of seniors is that parents are, like I said, it's just like weddings. You know, you're going to spend money on photos for weddings. You know, you're going to spend money on photos for your senior photo sessions. Yep. And and so many young girl, young women have horses that they love and that they want in their photos. As far as the remember sessions, uh, I do those for less. I do them for a $150 session fee and I don't require a minimum. And it's because it's a, it's kind of a personal passion thing where I really, if somebody's horse is over the age of 25, terminally ill or being donated to a riding program, I basically want to go out of my way to do pictures for that person. And, um, you know, I probably have just, two to three of those sessions a year. So it's not, okay. if it was half of my business, it wouldn't work very well. But (laughs) honestly, you go and make photos of somebody and their beloved horse that they're about to give away or say goodbye to or put down. And some of my very best sales have come from those sessions. So it's not as though I'm making only $150. I'm, I'm just making the entry level to that a little bit softer Yeah, for Mm -hmm. people. So when you do your selection session, you said those take about an hour, did you say? Yeah, an hour to two hours, probably to two, two hours. hours. Because okay, we, and are we you using talking. ProSelect or, or something similar? Yep, I am using ProSelect and okay. um, it's software that lets me, I have them send me like their general favorites before the session so that we're not going through 80 to 100 images that day. Okay. Um, I send them a gallery preview. 
using Zenfolio. And then I have them mark their favorites and send that to me. And that's all really easy to do through Zenfolio. And so by the time they come, I have their favorites marked as yeses in ProSelect. Then we we kind of start off by, by, what do you think you have a budget for today? Which collection were you thinking? And then we try and narrow down to that number of, of images in their gallery. And then if they have more images, we just add on to the package or, if, you know, however it it turns out. But mm-hmm. the beauty of the in-person ordering is that I can help them make the decisions. They can touch and feel the products. If mom likes a photo that daughter doesn't like, I can throw that in for free if I feel like it, you know? Yeah. And right. when it's done online, you don't get any of that personal um, input and assistance. And it's so a lot of... So the purchase is lower, usually. The purchase is always lower. Right. <laughs> Almost always lower. You know, sometimes I do have clients who are out of town or they're um, unable to meet with me. And we've done it before using screen sharing software. Okay. I use... Like- uh, do it online. I use join me is a service that I have a subscription to. And so we can do that, those orders online and uh, still get a similar experience, but most people really like coming in. And what I do in the fall, cause that's when probably the majority of my sessions are is I wait till the leaves fall off the trees. And then I determine this is my ordering session week. <laughs> and uh, I let people sign up for time slots and um, wow. one after another, they come in, they order, and then I get everything put together and delivered before the holidays. Oh, so you shoot when the when the colors are great and you don't, mm-hmm. so you don't shoot and then maybe a week or two later do a session or a buying session. Selection session. You, yeah. you do them all together. That's a great idea because well, then you can shoot with the colors. I think that's fascinating. A lot of people would say, well, isn't all the excitement worn off if you wait that long? And yeah, there's a lot of psychology out there like that. And yeah. you know, as a as a human, I am big on authenticity, and on I'm not I hate hype. <laughs> and I think that people, the reason I will let somebody look at their gallery for two months before they order, like people who don't let clients see their photos till they come in for the selection session like that to me feels heavy-handed and lots of pressure i want people to be able to really digest the photos and decide what they like before they come and see me it's better for my time i'm not spending three hours with people and then they're not even sure that they made the right decision the other thing so they're looking at your your pdf has the various packages and they're they're thinking oh this one might be a good wall portrait and this one i want to put these in the book and that yeah, and some people come in with a list and they know I want, you know, I want this and this and this. And I mean, they're really organized. They know what they want because they've had that time to really think or even measure their walls for what size prints they want. And mm-hmm. um, and so when they come in, you know, I want some of the work done preliminarily. And now the sessions I'm doing now, I'm not going to make them wait till the end of October. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. But they, they, yeah. You know, I might try and group a couple of them on a on a you know a Saturday or or try and find a day when they're off work, so I don't have to do it in the evening when I want to be out shooting, and and that's just the problem is I only have so many days in a week, and I have to leave days open for rain uh, reschedules, and so I can't be doing ordering sessions in the evening, and have enough evenings available for for photo sessions. Well, it and sounds like you're pretty busy. Yeah, it's, it's um, a good thing. And is this all 
from the new website or have you been this busy all along? No, it's, you know, it's been steadily growing every year. Okay. And I, I think that looking at that, at those numbers of the steady growth was part of what gave me the courage to go ahead and refocus my business on equestrian work. It ebbs and flows, it, but yeah, it's been, it's been pretty steady this year and, um, the, you know, the inquiries are coming and the bookings are coming in. I can't, it's hard to say, oh, this is because my website's different, but I do believe that my website site puts out a really strong message that I'm here to photograph people with horses and make films about that. And I think that you compare me with somebody who has, you know, I'm all things to all people. And it certainly gives me an edge marketing wise. I've been getting a lot of, you know, gosh, I keep seeing your name and your photos in my feed because you photograph all my friends. You know? right. <laughs> I've been getting a couple of those inquiries lately too. And so it does, it, I would say a lot, lot, lot of it comes from that Facebook presence. And then, you know, uh, Google. I, I'm the top result on Google. It helps to have a horse-focused site when somebody, you know, with the word equine on it a lot or equestrian work on it, word on it a lot. Because then when people Google, that's what they see. Did you, did you have anything else to ask before we kind of close things up? No, I could go on asking her a thousand questions. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, but we, you know, we try to, we're going to try to cut these down to between 35 and 45 minutes and we already have an hour worth of yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, we do. Well, so, and, and I don't know what we can cut out. I don't need, yeah. I don't think we're going to on this. I know from the response I've had, a lot of people are looking forward to this interview because Aww. you're very admired. Um, oh, in the in the you know equine and horse photography world, your name comes up all the time, and I don't know how many people have told me this week. I wish I could meet her. I wish I could meet her. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you're, oh my gosh, you're gonna make me cry. You know, you're you're. <laughs> we always think that we're kind of an island out there, and what we're doing isn't being, you know, people aren't respond not responding, but aren't affected or don't uh, doesn't see what we do, but. But you're you're making an impact on on the industry, I think, in a positive, very, very positive way. Thank you. That is a huge goal. And the word impact, the word influence, you know, I want to do that in a subtle way. I'm not a I don't want to bells and whistles and horns and announcing myself, but I do want to make an impact. I do want to influence. I'm not right. I mean, I'm writing ebooks because it's good for business, but also because I really want to help people. Yeah. And um. You know, you asked a question the other day about posing and somebody else did on that Equine Photographers Network group. And I'm like, you know, it's time to write the posing book. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. that's the next one I'm going to write. Because it would help everybody Yeah, who I struggles with posing. You know, I don't do a lot of portraits. So, um, so when you do, you're like, what yeah, do I do? Right, yeah. Exactly. And that's what I'm, you got a few coming up and I'm like, oh, I need some help. <laughs> so. Well, I think it's, it's fascinating. There's, you know, there are different philosophies of this, whether you be at a do it all for everyone type thing or you yeah. niche it down. And uh, Gigi went all with the Ooh. Belgian warm bloods and all of a sudden she's getting all this activity on her website yeah. and you've refocused and eliminated weddings and some other forms of portraits and said, Hey, I'm the horsey lady, mm-hmm. you know, and you're getting enough business to keep you hopping. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think even this podcast is going to be about, do you really want to niche it down to just horses? You know? Yeah. And that's, it's hard because it's, it is a niche to the point where, 
most people cannot make a living just doing that. Right. But there's ways to diversify it. And, you know, especially people who are doing this part time certainly can. And I just, I mean, I'm literally on the verge of tears lately with joy because of this change that I've made. And I feel like I, I want to do a a presentation on how to paddle upstream and find your joy, because that's what I feel like I've done here is. um, It's very cool. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and uh, here's the, here's the end of the the concussion story. My headaches are gone. Oh, Oh, that's great. Yeah. So by and large, removing that stress from my life was um, along with some dietary changes, some other lifestyle changes. But I do know that that this focus change and the the just sheer joy that I feel in what I'm doing these days is a big part of of helping me to feel better. And that was the goal because I couldn't live the way I was. I was, you know, on the verge of depression not that many months ago um, and feeling hopeless that my life was never going to be the same. And I can honestly say that today my life is better. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's great. And, it, and well, if I had to go through all of that to get to here, I I am grateful for the pain and and the struggle. Yeah, well, that's a lesson well well learned for everyone. You know, I think you it shows in your photos when you when you have you know a real joy for what you do, and you're not doing it just for the money, or you're not just you know snapping the pictures. That's why I I scale down too because I know the horse you know, the subject I love. And if I can't do it that way, um, I think my photos look better with what I enjoy taking photos of. Yeah, your photos look better when your heart is in it. Yep. When your heart is is seen through the photo. Exactly. You know, I think we've got just a really beautiful picture of what you're doing. So I appreciate your time. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah, it was was very fun. And I, and I learned a lot just from talking with you and I think I'll be talking to you again sometime yeah, soon. So I would like that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. That was fantastic. Yeah, she's great. She's really great. You know, her website's great. What she's doing, her story's great. This was uh, was a great conversation with Shelly. Yeah, um, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. I think uh, our listeners will really enjoy this uh, interview, learn a lot. You know, think a lot, and uh, this was a great interview. I was glad I was able to be here for it. Right. So you as a listener, uh, what's what's your takeaway on this uh, podcast? What is it that you're going to do differently because you've heard this podcast? That's the question I think we're going to ask after each podcast. What's your takeaway on this? And uh, we'd love you to visit our website and our Facebook page and leave comments about this podcast and any of the other podcasts that we uh, publish. Thank you for your time. Thanks for joining us for the Equine Photographers Podcast. We hope that you were inspired to grow and improve as an equine photographer by listening today. Join us for the next episode to learn, grow, and be inspired as we interview some of today's outstanding equine image makers. 